0: Hey guys, you are listening to the Crude Audacity podcast, and I am Catherine Mills. The oil and gas community is an amazing industry. We work hard at work worth doing every day. The Colorado oil and gas community is particularly noteworthy, again, because we work hard at work worth doing despite all the challenges. Today, you are about to hear my recent interview with Dan Haley, President and CEO of COGA, the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. This was the live OGGN Happy Hour held at Liberty Oilfield Services. One of the most amazing things about these podcast happy hours is that we get the opportunity to donate proceeds to Oilfield Helping Hands. And for those who do not know, Oilfield Helping Hands is a charity designed to help those in need within the oil patch itself. Our industry really is unique. We are one of the most powerful industries in the world, but we are small, we are tight knit, and we look out for each other every day how many other industries can claim that level of dedication to each other? We really do rise and rally together. So guys, enjoy this listen. This was my very first live podcast. As always, thank you so much for all that you do. Dan Haley and Koga do amazing things for the Colorado oil and gas industry every day, and I cannot thank them enough for fighting to keep Colorado's energy future bright. Let me know what you think and enjoy. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the OGGN Happy Hour. I am Catherine Mills, and you are listening to the very first live recording of the Crude Audacity podcast, the podcast that talks shop shit and all things strategy with oil patch influencers. Tonight, we are coming to you live from the Liberty Oilfield Services offices located in beautiful, cold downtown Denver. As you know, Liberty is committed to our community, industry, and the people through better, faster, safer frac innovations. There is no opportunity too small, so if you are looking for a unique solution for your team and assets, this will be Chris Wright's personal home phone number. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I might need a job eventually. Um, but before we kick off, let me give a shout out to our sponsors. Tonight is brought to you by the Global Energy Management Program and Denver Petroleum Club. The University of Colorado Denver's Global Energy Management Program is not your daddy's MBA. This degree is designed for the busy professional. Literally, you can take classes anywhere from around the world. The GEM program is focused on turning today's energy professionals into tomorrow's energy leaders with an extra emphasis on comprehensive energy. So if you are at all, at all looking for that next step, check out the Global Energy Management Program and stay energy curious. And of course, DPC, Denver Petroleum Club, the membership organization dedicated to networking, leadership, and education. Since the beginning, DPC has been dedicated to the petroleum industry, and DPC prides itself on providing thriving community for its members built on meaningful, prosperous relationships with other industry professionals. And finally, a shout-out to my team at Surtek, that is S-U-R-T-E-K. They are global leaders in in enhanced oil recovery solutions. From Wyoming to Saudi Arabia, the SurTech team has been providing unbiased, innovative, unique solutions for their clients since 1978. And you know, if you have an idea about your reservoir and think it might be a candidate, go ahead and give SurTech a shout out. And now for the main event. As you all know, we live in one of the greatest energy states in all of the U.S. of A. The oil and gas professionals of Colorado are the very definition of energy strong and our community is committed to keeping Colorado's future bright. However, like many places, Colorado, the Colorado oil and gas community is faced with unique and opposing challenges each day, but our people are resilient, our industry is strong, and we will not be minimized. Here to cover the full gamut of what lies ahead for Colorado's energy future, a man leading the charge for oil and gas every day, Mr. Dan Haley, welcome to the Crude Audacity podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you tonight and with everybody that came out on an unexpectedly uh, cold night in Denver. I didn't even bring a coat, so <laughs> uh, wasn't, I wasn't preparing for this. And I'm pleased to be a part of any event that is benefiting Oilfield helping hands. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's always frustrated me about how the public perceives our industry is an industry that doesn't care, and I've exactly. never seen an industry that cares this much and that does things like this to benefit <laughs> uh, our fellow workers when they uh, lose a job or, or get sick, and it's, it's just fantastic that an organization like that exists, and I'm glad I can be a part of it tonight.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining. I'm so glad I was able to convince you to do a happy hour with me. Um, so... Everyone knows you as head of COGA, Colorado Oil and Gas Association. But you weren't always in oil. You kind of fell into it. What happened? I, what went wrong? Yeah.
1: I, <laughs> so when I was a I ki- mean, come on. When I was a kid, I had a dream to run a trade association for a vital product that everybody needed. But everybody hated, and I just thought that what a great job that would be. That uh, was my
0: future too. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I sort of fell into working in oil and gas. I have a a, a media background. I spent yeah. 20 years as a in daily newspapers as a journalist. <laughs> uh, first as a reporter, then as an editor. Uh, then I worked uh, in opinion journalism. I was an editorial writer. And then I became editorial page editor.
0: Opinion journalism? Opinion
1: journalism. It's a real perfect thing. perfect for well, us. Well, it's not like in the fake news variety of opinion <laughs> journalists. It's more you're actually on the editorial page with opinion across the top. and You're, <laughs> you're paid to, to offer an opinion. And so I worked uh, 20 years in daily newspapers. The last uh, 13 at the Denver Post okay. here in, in, in Denver. And the last four I was the editorial page editor of the paper. Mm-hmm. So uh, in a position like that, you're... Um, writing editorials opinions uh, you're looking at the issues that your state or community face, and rather than just writing what's happening like a news reporter should do uh, you're actually proposing solutions what you think would be good for for colorado so i was able to see a lot of what was happening in the state and Mm -hmm. really understand the challenges that our state faces and hopefully we provided some solutions or, or options out there and in so doing i was able to meet a lot of people as well i had a really great rolodex yet
0: a rolodex Dude, we Sorry. don't know what that is. Yeah, the but hell's a Rolodex. It's
1: all in my phone now. I had somebody type it all in my phone. Before that, it was all in this little magical thing that you turn, and you had cards, and I had a, I had one of those, and it had a lot of people's names in it.
0: Thank and you. And it for was that. great,
1: absolutely. <laughs> uh, so you meet a lot of people, you have a lot of great contacts. However, the industry was changing very quickly. Uh, <laughs> yep. The internet came along. It was not the best of times anymore, and mm. I figured I needed to do something else for the next 20 years, I was in my early 40s at that time. How do I you know, find a career that I can do and put my kids through college and, and retire at some point? And so I worked in corporate communications for a while, long story short, really wanted to find a way that I could take an interest in public policy and politics and communications and help people, help companies sort of maneuver that intersection of what happens when you have policy and and politics mixing and and the need for communications. And found myself as a consultant working for the Colorado Oil and Gas Association and a few other oil and gas interests doing some different things and then became uh, head of COGA in 2015. So about four and a half years in this current position.
0: Going, Going well?
1: Yeah, it's a, every day is a new adventure. If you want a job where you're going to wake up and not know what you're going to face, that you know, you wake up in the morning, you have no idea that five hours later there's going to be six television cameras in front of you asking you questions about a study that you have never seen until that morning, then this is the job for you.
0: Sounds normal. <laughs> Sounds completely normal. Well, completely given that normal. you have normal. Uh, been doing this for quite a while now, can you sort of take us through the evolution of the Colorado oil and gas landscape and your take on today, what you've seen evolving, the good, the bad, the best, the ugly, all sure. of it.
1: So I think the the best way I could sum, summarize something like that is we are in a period of great change, not <laughs> just in our industry, yes. but in our country. Everything is changing and it's changing quickly. Our industry is getting better, cleaner, and safer. In Colorado, we are producing this resource cleaner than anywhere, in the country.
0: Anywhere in the world, Anywhere really. in the world, absolutely. We um,
1: Yet there's a global movement against us that wants to see this industry go away. Um, I think in Colorado, there's a small group of people who believe that, yet they have an outsized voice. Mm-hmm. And they have an outsized representative, a representation at the Statehouse and elsewhere in, <laughs> in politics. So I think as an industry, this is, a, this is an amazing time Yeah. When you look at the innovation and technology and things that are happening in oil and gas, this is a fantastic time to be to be working, yet also a period of great change. And so we have to as an industry, long way of answering your question, (laughs) embrace that change. Embrace the technology and innovation that's happening because it is our path forward.
0: Yes. I agree with that. We're gonna talk about everyone's favorite governor.
1: (laughs) John Hickenlooper? Who? He got 1% in the presidential race.
0: <laughs> Yay. <laughs> now, let's, let's go back to your interview a few months ago with uh, Mr. Polis himself. Um, I was informed that I am not allowed to use negative words or be remotely derogatory. <laughs> so I'm going to ask this question in a very open-ended way. You want me
1: to use yes. negative words and be
0: derogatory? <laughs> you were giving this interview. I've I've seen a lot of online dating, and this was probably the most awkward thing I've ever seen in my life. So what were you thinking <laughs> during this, uh, let's call it a silly, silly, silly <laughs> event? I mean, should we be surprised? Sure. Were you surprised? I mean, there are a few moments where you look like you were cringing.
1: Yeah, so let's, I'll walk it back just for people who, who don't know. We had our big energy summit in August, and we were talking about potential panels to have that would be of interest. And one of them was, can you still drill for oil in Colorado? Is this, can you drill for oil in a blue, in a blue state? And we thought, well, who would be good on that panel? It's like, Jared Polis, so let's do it. Let's invite him <laughs> and have him sit down. We'll do a, a one-on-one conversation. Because of my background in media and my Rolodex, <laughs> I've known the governor for 15 years or, or so. So I thought, well, this would be a good conversation. We can really kind of get into the nitty gritty. He agreed yeah. to do it, I thought, well, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, it and again, you talk about not wanting to say negative things. In in an industry like this, where you have work in front of the state, you want to develop good relationships with people of all parties. That's part of my job is to do that. Absolutely. And so building relate life is about relationships. And our industry is about relationships. So let's have this great conversation. So I had a list of questions. We're sitting up there, two armchairs, just the governor and I, and I'm asking the questions and he's answering them very quickly. So as somebody very, like, who's sitting here with questions, nothing's worse than that, right? When you're like, oh, <laughs> we're going to be done with this in 10 minutes. What are we going to do at that point? And I asked every question I would ask, he would say something like, well, that's a silly
0: question. It is so silly. Yeah.
1: And and finally, I said, "They all, all the questions can't be silly, Governor. <laughs> but what he was doing was he was very...
0: I, I, He's my word is you. he was
1: very dismissive of not just he wasn't dismissing me he was dismissing all of the people Everyone. in this industry i happen to be the one representing all of us sitting up there yes um and i think i gave a quote to the media that probably gave my director of communications, scott prestige some heartburn back there <laughs> where i said i said something like you know we saw this is who he is this this is who, the, who the governor is years. well it it's he's um He has an opinion on on things, and that's his right to have that opinion. Um, And he, I think, what he was doing essentially was positioning himself away from anything that could be happening in industry, i.e. if there's job loss, that's not my fault, that is Venezuela's fault, that is commodity prices. And he positioned every question to that. That's markets, that's happening. And he's absolutely right that commodity prices are low and that's troublesome. Yet, I think he underestimates, I I don't think I know, he underestimates (laughs) or completely dismisses his role in all of this. A
0: hundred percent. And the role
1: of policy and politics and how that impacts investors and Mm -hmm. all the different things that are happening out there. So, um, I kind of was running through my questions and trying to bounce back on some things with him, but you asked what it was like, and just to be honest, there were a couple moments in there where I literally got kind of dizzy and was like... I, I felt like maybe I'm dreaming. This is like a nightmare, right? Like I was a little tired already from conference. Can this get I, worse? I feel like yeah, I fell asleep, <laughs> and he's just doing this to me, and I'm in front of 600 people, and uh, you know, what is he? What's happening yeah. in this moment right now? I think everybody and, was
0: asking that question: it, Is this really happening? And the
1: media picked up on it yeah. as well. The the coverage that he got the next day was not favorable, and I think they understood that, that he was being this What was what was really bothered me the most was I was trying to get a sense from him about whether or not this industry is valued in Colorado. Yes. Do, should we keep doing this here? Is this something that you think is a good idea, that we've got 100,000 people employed in this job, that we're paying a billion dollars in state and local taxes? Is this a good thing for Colorado? And he wasn't saying it. And I kept asking it in different ways, and I kind of went back to my old reporter days mm-hmm. and like, I'll, I'll get it, at, you know, I'll go around this way and, and get him. To, <laughs> and finally, I just said, look, governor these people want to know if their jobs are valued exactly and he said fine fine you're valued you're part of a, a diverse economy in, in Colorado and even that answer that was, was dismissive, dismissive. Of, of what we were doing so it was not his greatest moment and um, I'll be charitable to say that I don't want anybody to judge me by you know <laughs> my not greatest moments either so
0: well have you had any action, interaction with him since then very little ah, awkward <laughs> <laughs> okay Do you think he actually understood the implications of 181 when he and his team started pushing for it? Do you really think he thought it through, or is he just answering to the anti oil rhetoric because, for whatever reason, he tends to lean in that direction?
1: I don't think anyone to this point fully understands the implications of 181. Then, why is that? When we were on that stage, he wanted me to say that 181 wasn't the same thing as 112 and I wasn't gonna go there, no. it's, not, it's certainly not the same in terms of a 2,500 foot setback versus this giant bill, but we don't know the impacts of 181 fully yet. We, we have just begun a complicated process of about a dozen rulemakings at the state level and many new regulations at the local level, so we don't fully understand the impact. No one fully understands the impact of this. I think he campaigned on local control, Yes. I think he allowed the legislature to write a bill, which is what is in their purview as well. I think he was involved in that. Um, I think that they they threw everything they could into one bill. And what's frustrating about this is the people we are,
0: writing it didn't know what they were doing.
1: I, well, I think there was <laughs> I think there was a certain amount of amateur hour at the state house this year with new leadership coming in. But we are, tonight is the one year anniversary of Proposition 112 going down by 10 points. That should have sent a message to the legislature that the people in this state value this industry, that they value the jobs, the tax revenue, all the good things that all of you do. And instead, they said there's pent up pent up demand to make changes to the oil and gas industry. There was not, there's no pent up demand statewide. There may be pent up demand in Boulder County <laughs> to make some changes to the oil and gas industry. And you have leadership in Colorado that is essentially from Boulder. The governor is a Boulder Democrat. The uh, House Speaker is a Boulder Democrat. Yep. The Senate Majority Leader is a Boulder Democrat. And so they took what they're hearing in their circles and they took that as a pent up demand to make changes. And so they added everything into one giant bill. So did I think, I, I don't think they fully, I don't believe they fully appreciate the scope of this bill and what they put, they set into motion.
0: Well, the Boulder thing, in all honesty, they ain't fooling nobody. They want all the benefits without playing the game. So that's gonna have to change real fast in this state. I mean, it can't continue the way it is. You can't expect all the demand and still, still try and call the shots elsewhere, so you're just on the sidelines.
1: Boulder is an interesting place. That um, is a
0: nice way to put it. <laughs> I'm from Mississippi. We'd say something different.
1: It, uh, They get all the benefits uh, of oil and gas on a cold night like this tonight. They're all turning on their gas fireplaces. They're turning up the furnace. Uh, they get all, all of that. Yeah. And uh, I think this is where we start getting into sort of the hypocrisy argument that happens in our state and it happens elsewhere across the, the country and the world, frankly, as we... As we battle this movement against fossil fuels, and um, without fully, people fully realizing all that we have because of fossil mm-hmm. fuels, I think as an industry we've done ourselves a disservice by not communicating this to people. And people think that it's about gas you put in your car, or you know, there was a, a story. I, I there were some comments on an online story, and somebody was trying to make the point about your phone being a petroleum product yeah. and the guy commented below it says I don't, my phone doesn't run on gas thinking he was being funny <laughs> and i'm like it absolutely does it natural gas when you plug it in every night and there's a disconnect wow. there's a disconnect everywhere and it's not just our industry there's and i know this over oversimplifies but one of the biggest issues we have in this country right now is people think that food comes from the grocery store they think that power comes from your electrical outlet and we're <laughs> very very spoiled we are we, we live we in, are a, in a wonderful spoiled. country. Our state is blessed with abundant natural resources: sun for solar, wind for wind turbines, coal, natural gas, oil. We have all of those things yeah. in this state, and we're very fortunate. And we're so fortunate, we're so blessed that we're fighting about what kind of energy to use when a billion people across the world don't have access to that energy. I think their, it's days, like three. Their, their days, their days. Their lives shut off when the sun goes down. Right? Are you
0: talking about California? <laughs> <Yeah>?
1: Absolutely, California.
0: <laughs> 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 I <laughs> never mind. <laughs> so something you did say, campaigning at the local level for local control. What it's created is this house rules patchwork nightmare. Quite frankly, I mean, we're looking at laramie county making all these claims that they're just going to redo everything adams county i mean their commissioner didn't even really listen to any of the uh pushback they were getting and they just moved forward i think uh down south we only had one say that they were willing to take their time and actually go through it so this is going to end up biting a lot of people in the butt quite frankly what, have, we, what can we do to fix that? You have
1: anywhere between nine to eleven communities that either have some sort of moratorium in place right now, or yep. rewriting their rules based on Senate Bill 181, which puts a lot of newfound powers with local governments, and they're all trying to figure out exactly what that means. Even friendly governments will see that and go, "Oh, newfound powers. What can I? What can I do there?" Right. Yeah. So you you How do, do we end regulate up the yeah regulate. you do end up with this patchwork of rules. So we're trying to deliberately work with all those communities and for those friendly communities that want to know what to do i always tell them you don't have to do anything like, just <laughs> relax let's see what happens let's let these rule makings take place before you start looking at exactly. air monitoring we're going to go through this giant air rulemaking in december so there's no need to do anything there um so you have adams county which is one of those counties that's been waiting for something like this to happen they jumped they they did a moratorium before the bill was even signed i know before what we knew was in it
0: so they you had knew an what agenda. they were going, you
1: knew where they were going um, with this and so those rules are, are now done and now we need to see if we can operate under these rules can we well we're gonna find out and uh, operators are gonna to have to go in there and try to uh, meet these new criteria I think in in some cases I talked at the beginning about technology and innovation I think that is going to be an answer to a lot of this um, but, but it's going about to be in terms difficult of land? it's going to be expensive um, in terms of land, and, and they what do need you mean?
0: several different locations. Like well, sometimes that's, the, that's not possible. That's
1: the key with Adams County. So what Adams County did was they did a setback, which we, Coloradans shot down the 2,500-foot setback. Lawmakers said you can do your own setbacks, but they have to be reasonable and necessary. <laughs>
0: okay,
1: and we could talk about that. Um, so Adams County did a setback, and then they said you need to provide alternative sites to the one you want to drill at, and those need to be a thousand feet from each other. Uh-huh. So that's where that's you know the kind of the rub that comes in there and makes yeah. it makes it more difficult.
0: Exactly. And
1: so the the fight going forward will be over things like words like reasonable and necessary. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What state lawmakers did with 181. I don't want to go too far into the weeds here, but um, they stripped out language about technical feasibility and economic practicability. If I'm using that word right, I always screw those up.
0: And aren't and that those the worst says, things to, re- to take out? Yes,
1: absolutely. Every other environmental regulation in the state still has those words in it, except for the one that governs oil and gas. And so that was that was in there, so they can't require you to do something that's technically not feasible for you to do. So they took that, that language out. That, that when you talk about do they know what they're doing, those very deliberate things, they know exactly oh, what yeah. they're doing. Um, and so they took that language out. We worked very hard to get language inserted like reasonable and necessary. Uh, I'll give you another example of, of something else that they did in 181. They said uh, local governments could increase fees, fines, and financial assurance, and they could be unlimited. <laughs> and so we worked very hard to get an amendment added to that to say, to say that those things need to need to be done in a reasonable manner. Mm-hmm. So again, another word that, what does that mean exactly? Now we're going to find out as this process goes forward. But as introduced, the bill didn't have any of those things in there. It allowed unlimited setbacks. Mm-hmm. Now those setbacks must be done in a reasonable and necessary manner. Is that 1,000 feet? Is that 1,500 feet? Is that 2,000 feet? We'll find out.
0: Does reasonable and necessary benefit us or benefit the other side? Because it seems like a fatal phrase that is just for the sake of argument. I, I,
1: I don't I don't believe so. I think it is a phrase that allows us to move forward and gives us a hook to argue against their
0: regulations. Okay. Yeah. So how are you and your team navigating the COGCC right now? Because on one hand, my heart goes out to them, and on the other hand, some of the meetings I have had the pleasure of attending, I've never seen a group more disinterested in whoever is speaking in front of them. So there seems to be a big disconnect between the commissioners, the staff, and then what's actually happening in the communities.
1: So I think it's important to note also under Senate Bill 181, one of the things they did was they revamped the COGCC, our state regulator. Before, it had nine people on it. Three of them had oil and gas experience.
0: And now it's one.
1: (laughs) They took the geologist and the engineer off there. What's frustrating to me is this bill was designed to, quote unquote, protect the health, safety, and welfare of Coloradans, the environment, and wildlife. If you really want to do that, if you want to protect the health, safety, and welfare of Coloradans, you want an engineer and a geologist sitting on the COGCC because they know how you can, <laughs> where you should drill wells to protect the health, safety, and welfare. They took those people off. So they created basically a brand new commission. And so I'm gonna be charitable again to the commissioners who were essentially plucked off the street Dropped into these chairs and told the first meeting that they're going to change the 500 series rules. I guarantee you, most of those people said, "What are the 500 series rules?" and they're reading it in the week in advance. So they were given a really almost nearly impossible task. And the other part of this is, as I rail on Senate Bill 181, is (laughs) they're only in place for a year, and there's a certain amount of rulemakings that the law requires them to accomplish by July 1 of 2020.
0: So they they have been given a
1: very difficult task. So I think if you, depends on who you talk to. (laughs) um, The rulemaking, I'll just say this, the rulemaking on the 500 series rules in June was supposed to be two days. They didn't get it done, extended into July and took a day or two in July and Mm -hmm. that was supposed to be the easy one. We have Flowline rulemaking coming up in November. Again, we just did our, we revamped Flowline rules in 2018 to the point where Colorado has the most comprehensive flowline rules in the country. We test and monitor those lines more than any other state in the country and now we're gonna go back in and do another rulemaking in November. And then in uh, December, the Air Quality Control Commission, which is under the uh, State Health Department, will do a uh, rulemaking on air yeah. and air monitoring. And we're gonna be monitoring uh, emissions and doing a lot more on the air side when Colorado has already done two comprehensive rulemakings in 2014 and 2017 mm. on air. One of the things I should have said at the very beginning of this, and I know the people in this room know this, but for folks listening to this podcast, Colorado, we, we had, Scott, I'm looking for the number here, 15 rulemakings in nine years. 15 rulemakings in nine years before Senate Bill 181 passed. I defy you to find any other state in the country that had that many rulemakings. Most of those rules were first of their kind in the oh, country. Yeah.
0: We're, and this, so, we're the sounding board. And so
1: while it's difficult to go through those rulemakings, I think it's important in, in And when you're in a job like mine, I'm able to go out and speak to communities and say, I, I'm a Colorado native. I love the how, how beautiful this state is. I want to protect the air, the water, because my kids live here and I want them to breathe clean air and drink clean water. And we have rules in place to protect all those things. We have technology in place to protect all those things. So it's important, and I, I know it's, it's easy to rail on these rules, but in, if you're gonna operate in Colorado, you need to do so at a high standard, Yes. and we do. Our operators do it better than anybody. Anybody? Yeah.
0: What's your stance on what's happening with permitting right now? Because- Is there last- permitting happening right now? <laughs> That's kind of it, because, I mean, last I heard, it took two years for one company to get even the next round of permits. That's unacceptable. It's a detriment to our state, to our community, and to our industry. So how are we going to fix it?
1: So I don't know that particular company, what their issue was, but that obviously extends back into uh, a different administration and everything. What you saw in Colorado when uh, 181 was signed, permitting stopped for about a month. Oh, yeah. And the director of the COGCC, Jeff Robbins, came up with a list of criteria that he was going to judge all future permits by. Um, <clears throat> if you look at Form 2As, which are those location assessments that come out, we were getting about 40 of those a month Yes. prior to the POLIS administration. Um, their goal is about 28 of those a month. And while that seems low at this point, I would appreciate 28 a month because <laughs> we're not really seeing it. Occasionally, they'll be uh, they'll hit a seven or eight a week, but then uh, we had this air study that came out a week or so ago, two weeks ago, yeah, that slowed things that. down quite a bit <laughs> as well. So what we need to do is get to a point in Colorado where there's some certainty of expectations. So we know if it's going to slow down, tell us what to do how to do it, how do we get our permits into a, into a place that gets approved so we can move these things through so we can have some certainty and know what to expect. Mm-hmm. That is, any business, but it's certainly ours, craves that certainty and predictability, and we just don't have that right now.
0: So what is your opinion on the CDPHE air study that came out?
1: So, <clears> What's interest- it gonna affect? <laughs> what's it going to affect or what should it affect? Let me think about Both. how I wanna answer that. So actually, this, was, this study that came out two weeks ago was a continuation of a study that was done in 2017. Yes. That study in 2017 looked at 10,000 air samples and found no reason to change state law. Found very low risk to people who live near oil and gas facilities. Very positive for us. This now looks at another 5,000 air samples and does some modeling. I likened it to uh, an old video game, The Sim City. Remember? Don't know what that is? Jeez. Well, l- look in your Rolodex <laughs> under S. It was you it's mean old. Contacts? I, I was and what's really sad about SimCity is that was even after my time. I didn't even do that. I was already an adult when that came out. What's but anyway, the most it was simulated. App on your phone? Simulated, I got apps, I have an <laughs> iPhone, the fonts really large. Um anyway, it, they it was basically they created a little simulated city and, and simulated people and they did modeling to determine <laughs> what would happen under worst case scenarios where the wind doesn't blow for 30 years and and things like that. Um, And they modeled under worst case scenarios and said within 2,000 feet, you could have some short term acute health risks. They equated it, the state then said, like nausea, dizziness, or nosebleeds. Those things actually were never in the study, by Mm -hmm. the way. If you dig into the study, the state just added that as potential-
0: Empty rhetoric. uh, Potential
1: (laughs) things that could happen. If you really look at the, st- the study, it's pretty positive yeah. for our industry. It shows, it shows no long-term health impacts. It shows no risk of cancer with living near oil and gas. Wells, mm-hmm. that comes up all the time. Yep. It should put that to bed for good. All of these risks that are modeled under worst case scenarios, shows you know short-term, pretty low short-term risks. So what happens now is the state sees that. And they look at it as an opportunity to make some changes to their policy. And so they said, well, now, given this study, which looked at 2,000 feet, we're going to look at all permits differently within that 2,000 feet, within Mm -hmm. 2,000 feet of of a home, right? Yeah. So it gives them another opportunity to kind of slow things down a little bit, which is concerning to us. But what they're going to do going forward is real airtime or real monitoring, air, air data monitoring. And...
0: They're just digging we're, for something.
1: <laughs> but you know what, we're okay with that. We need to, we need to embrace science. We have this, We have science on our side. We've got the data on our side. Let's base policy on real data, not on modeling, mm-hmm. and let's take a look at it. I feel very good about that they're not gonna find anything. They've been monitoring in Broomfield and have found everything well below health guideline values. And that's important.
0: To your point, that keeps happening though. They're not gonna find anything. Every study that this industry and all these people in this room do (coughs) produces results that are more and more favorable because of the innovation that comes from this industry. And yet, every single time that they wanna throw a fit, we're like, oh, okay, well, well, we'll give you an inch. Oh, okay, well, we'll give you an inch. And then they come back and ask for a mile. So when does it stop? When do we put our hard line in the sand? When do we say, you know what, at some point, you have to pay attention to the science.
1: What would, what would your hard line be in that situation?
0: You don't want that. No, sure I'm kidding. I <laughs> sure, I do. Um,
1: this is like SimCity. It's a simulation. Let's play real time. I have real-time. no idea what, what that is. What would you is. do in this situation?
0: Uh, yeah, it's I would <clears throat> stop I would honestly stop. I would put things back. I would say, you know what? Nothing is supporting this angry rhetoric. You're not willing to listen, so there's no argument to be had. Everybody continue as we were.
1: Right. Well, that would be great if they were willing to do that. Well, you said but it was SimCity. Right, okay. But they're going to want to see things. And so to, <laughs> the way I look at it, um, we have to be open to that. And we have to say, you want to monitor? Come monitor. Um, because we have nothing to hide. This is a safe industry. This is a clean industry. We're doing it better than anybody. We've done the data. We're, we'll show you the data. And, and we have to then tell that and show that to Coloradans as well.
0: So how do we get us um, good? To, we
1: have to continue to push back on that rhetoric, mm-hmm. on the rhetoric that we're ending the planet, that we're <laughs> yeah. hurting people, um, because for too long we didn't do anything. Exactly. We were an industry run by geologists and engineers who said, I know that that's safe because I did the math. I did the science. <laughs> I know that that hole is safe. I know that it's nowhere near groundwater. You've got to be kidding yourself if you think that anybody's ever going to believe that we're going to contaminate groundwater. We're a 1,000 feet below it. Right? So we looked at it from that standpoint of, who would ever doubt us? We, we've, we're engineers and scientists, we've done the math. Yet we didn't tell anybody. And so it was very easy for other people to come in and scare people and say, your faucet's going to catch on fire, your kids are going to get <laughs> bloody noses, and it's loud and it's noisy and it's scary, and oil and gas isn't saying anything. And then, oh, now look, they just put up a bunch of walls. What are they doing behind those walls? And so it is, yeah.
0: Don't they want to know?
1: We'll take them down if you want, it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> um, but, but the point of that is, that's now that's us, that's on us. We have to make sure we're out telling those stories. If we're gonna be in a community, we need to tell them, here's what we're doing, here's why it's important, here's why it's good for our community, our state, and our country. Here's what it's gonna sound like, here's what it's gonna look like, here's what it might smell like, hopefully you don't smell anything because we've got all these different things we're doing here, but it's an industry and here's, you know, just give them that information. Coloradans are smart, voters are smart, but we have to be willing to have that conversation with them and we have to go out and meet them Mm -hmm. where they live. We can't expect them to come to us or go to our website or read any of these things. And so, this is a longer way of saying, you know, I understand the frustration, we get frustrated as well, yeah. um, because there are rulemakings on top of rulemakings. But these are our political overlords for the foreseeable future. And really? so we have mm-hmm. to find uh, ways to work with them. You know, there's an old saying that you're either at the table or you're on the menu. And we feel like we need to be at the table having these conversations to influence um, policy in the best possible way, knowing that we're not going to win all the time. And we, you know, we get frustrated and we... I I keep pointing out my Scott back there. We don't get a lot of home runs in this industry, right? We get some singles occasionally. Yeah. Sometimes we get hit by pitch, but we get to advance to base. <laughs> and, uh, and so we have to you know, kind of work in, in that framework and really just kind of you know, chip away at what's happening here in Colorado because this industry is too important to Colorado to be exactly. lost. It's too important to our country to be a political football.
0: Exactly. And so
1: it's, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we're at the table, having these discussions, doing our best to tell our friends, neighbors, about what we're doing, why we're doing it, why it's important.
0: Well, Dan, before I open it up to questions from the audience, what's your, what's your I guess, gift of foresight? How is oil and gas in Colorado going to look in five <clears> or 10 <throat> years? What's going to change? What should we expect? What are you noticing that's definite?
1: I don't know i'm not i wouldn't say anything is definite (laughs) um i think as as i said i think our our future involves technology innovation getting smarter being more transparent about what we're doing i think the companies that embrace that that embrace change that embrace technology will be the ones that have the clearest path forward Um, i think there is a future for oil and gas in colorado Um, I think we'll be here producing this resource for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. The world needs it. Um, I think that we have, unfortunately, we live in a political environment where um, our elected leaders, people running for president, for example, are fooling Americans. And telling them that if it wasn't, if it was just for the political will, we could switch tomorrow to an all-renewable future, and we would have wind and solar to power the grid, and we can get rid of those awful fossil fuels. And it's just not true. And we need to make sure that we're letting people know that we're an important part of Colorado going forward and that we have good answers for all of this stuff. You know, we didn't talk about climate change at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have answers. We're doing things to reduce our emissions. And people need, need to know that.
0: Exactly. Well, are there any questions from the audience? Oh, thank you. <laughs> I
1: have one question.
0: Hold on, I have a whole closer. <laughs>
1: Hi. Um, where's our next battleground for the oil and gas industry in Colorado? Is it uh, the commission rulemaking? Is it challenges to local rulemaking? Is it from the national level in 2021, 20, 20? Yes. <laughs> <the above. laughs> it is all. It is all of the above. Um, Senate Bill 181 very much made this a local game. So we need to make sure that we're paying attention to what's happening in local communities. And that means all of us need to be paying attention to who we're voting in in local communities for city council and county commission because they, they hold a lot more sway than they did uh, several months ago. So it's local communities. And um, for the next two years, it's gonna be rulemakings at the state house. I mean, you nailed every all of those things. And then to me, it's that broader rhetoric that's emanating globally, but certainly the national politics in the United States that we have to combat and make sure that we're telling all the good stories of this industry. But really, this 181 shifted this to a local a local game. The legislature will continue to work on oil and gas issues, even though they did this giant, omnibus bill in, in 181 this year. I don't think they'll take on as much next year, but they're still gonna be doing uh, quite a few things, and climate change will be the lens through which a lot of this is, is seen at that state level. The other, I'll just keep answering this question. The other, because <laughs> there's so much, at, at the state level, it's a, I, my biggest concern is the um, health department and the air rules and some of the things that they're gonna be doing around, around that. that. That, I think, can get very expensive for some of our operators. And depending on you know, where you are, this is when technology um, is, you know, not all the same technologies are needed in all the same places. If that makes sense.
0: So Dan, my question is, um, I'm a very positive person, glass half full type of gal. Um, <laughs> so where can we see some easy wins or some good partnerships um, where we can get some headway either with legislatures or um, with COGCC? Where, where can there be some good wins for the oil and gas industry and the state?
1: Wow, well, that's a great question. <laughs> some good wins. Um, I don't know, Um, it's a a really good question. There are a few things that uh, we're working on through the rulemakings which I think might be, uh, end up being fairly positive. We can move forward or at least get some things uh, behind us. Um, I think there's always uh, some positive or some kind of forward thinking things that we can do uh, at the legislature or try to do at the legislature. Um, And you know, we'll see. Sorry, more positive. (laughs) I appreciate her positivity. on.
0: We appreciate the honesty. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time today. I greatly appreciate it. To everyone here, everyone listening, you are a true advocate for this industry. You fight for us each day. And I cannot thank you enough for protecting Colorado's energy future. So thank you so much. And... (laughs) I mean, this has been so fun. Thanks (laughs) for for having me. I appreciate it. It.
1: Yeah, it's great. Thank you.
0: If y'all could all go online, please rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you really want to make it interesting, shoot Mark LaCour of OGGN a personal note. I would personally appreciate it. Um, We will be doing a 2020 tour, OGGN and the Crude Audacity podcast. We're going to be going to Calgary, Casper, Wyoming, San Diego, and Durango. So if anyone is interested in getting involved or sponsorship, please let me know. Or if you have a topic or influencer that you would like me to hit, I am all ears. But again, thank you, OGGN, Liberty, Koga, uh, DPC, and Jim. We cannot do it without you, so thank you all so much.
1: Thanks everybody.